if you use sex and love relationships, et cetera, use other people really in order to avoid uncomfortable feelings or to try to fill an emptiness of some sort, then you're basically on that spectrum somewhere. I'm Alexa, and you're listening to That Sex Check, a Soulfire production. Carrie Cohen is the author of Loose Girl, a memoir of promiscuity, a book that I personally have on my bookshelf from years and years ago. She's also the author of Crazy For You, Breaking the Spell of Sex and Love Addiction, as well as 10 other books. She is a psychologist and a licensed therapist in Portland, Oregon. I loved the book Loose Girl by Carrie. I read it probably more than six years ago. I found a lot of myself mirrored in her story. The coach I am today wouldn't be possible without the lessons I learned through my own personal journey and experiences. But I would have never considered myself a love or a sex addict. Admittedly, I have a bit of a challenge with that language, that label, and that box so many professionals put people inside of. I don't like it, yet I know it's something that is real and present in the line of work that I do regardless. Some people consider themselves a sex or love addict and maybe use the terms a bit loosely. Some people use it with a bit more rigidity and associate with the concepts that are a part of the sex addicts anonymous. Today's guest on the show describes it as a spectrum. Personally, I will never use this terminology, at least I don't think that I will. I believe that it does more harm than good for some people, though I believe there's something for everyone to learn by digging into what it represents. How people cope by jumping from relationship to relationship, how they play out codependence, how they make others the source of their problems, and how they perpetuate shame, guilt, grief, or sadness in their lives. I believe there's something for everyone in this episode. Maybe it's something for you or something in regards to a person that you love. Hope y'all enjoy this very tender episode of That Sex Chick. All right, That Sex Chick listeners, really excited to have this conversation. I definitely feel a little bit of a little mm, butterflies in my stomach, kind of a little tension maybe even in my chest or on my heart uh, because the subject matter of the conversation that we're going to have today, it definitely brings up some feels um, for me. So I was just talking with the guest right before I hit record and was talking about how I read her book, which had to have been maybe six years or so ago. I thought that I was getting some sort of erotic novel and it wound up being, well, what it was. And it said it clearly on the book, a memoir. And so much of my, like, not just my, it wasn't really my personal story, but in the words that she was writing about these characters, which were her and her life playing out, I felt so much of the energy and the desire and the longing and the lacking and the patterns. I found myself in it. And I think why I am feeling some some even feels and in going into this conversation is because right before I came on to Zoom and started recording, I flipped through the book and a lot of the stuff of my past and things that I I let go of. And I um when I say transcended. I don't mean I, I'm not the same person that I was then. I mean, 
I have decided to make different choices for myself. It doesn't mean that I don't still go to some of those places in my mind and in my heart and in my body even, um, you know, through trauma response and all of that. So it just brought some things up. And at the same time, when I feel like maybe sadness or, or longing or... I feel sorry, maybe even for a younger version of myself that I found mirrored in some of uh, the book that I'm talking about right now is Loose Girl by Carrie Cohen. And she's going to start speaking here in just a second after I after I'm done with my little riff here. But um, yeah, it's I found myself really mirrored in some of that. And um, while, yes, I feel some of that kind of tension or whatever, I also feel deep gratitude for what I was able to learn of myself and my journey and where I have gotten today, being married to the most beyond incredible person, perfect match for me, who's also still my sacred mirror, go figure, um, and have this really beautiful life that I have now filled with so much self-love and self-worth and this really beautiful connection to my body and my sexuality. Um, But that wasn't always the case for me. And so um, I'm really excited to have a conversation with the writer of this book that I, again, I thought it was going to be an erotic novel and then wound up being like, pow, a whole other journey that I went on in the book still kept me gripped. Um, And so uh, we're getting to have that convo, Carrie and I, who wrote this book for many years ago, from my memory. <laughs> um, and it was so beautiful. Carrie, thank you for coming on. Um, I would love to co- get dig right in and to hear a little bit of your story, which if anybody wants more of her story, you can read the book, Loose Girl. Um, and some of your credentials and the work, you know, that story of, of your life and how it led you to the work that you do professionally. Yeah. Wow. Thank you. <laughs> that was really, that was really lovely to hear. Um, you know, I will say too, that I, I was so, so pleased about how many women and girls really as young as 13 and as old as 80. I mean, the, the amount of messages and, and feedback I got about how many people saw themselves in the book, which, um, felt really important and felt like I had really done something that could be so deeply gratifying. So, yeah. So my story, I, I talk now about Loose Girl as being a sort of origin story of a person who would become a sex and love addict. Um, And I say that because, you know, when you're 11, you're not a sex and love addict. And, um, and really the book is so much about just growing up as a girl in this culture um, and how combined with the facts that I was not getting what I needed in any way or enough care or attention at home. And I was kind of living a pretty lonely childhood that as soon as I hit puberty and as soon as my body became started looking more like a woman's body, even though I was still a girl, um, how easy it is for girls and how problematically easy, of course, it is for girls to get that attention. So if you've been like needing attention and you didn't even like know what you were missing for me, it was so much like, you know, like people talk about who are like heroin addicts or something like that first time you do it. And the first, so that first hits of attention just felt like this is what I've been looking for my whole life, you know, my whole life of of 11 years, but, um, but then it just continued and how um, deceptive that attention is around the messages that we receive about that attention about, you know, men's, male gaze and men's desire for, for women. Um, and how much I learned that my body 
was not really mine, which is true for all girls and women up, up to some extent. Um, and so a lot of the book is also, I mean, so it's mostly about that longing, which you spoke of before. That's exactly the right word. A lot of longing and, and loneliness and sort of desperation around wanting to feel, um, loved, but more than just loved, like, like, uh, chosen and, um, like I mat, like wanted to matter, wanted to be worth something. And so it got very tangled. Those feelings got very tangled up in male attention for me. Um, and which I think happens to a lot of girls and women. Um, and also it's about how I had to figure out how to find an ownership over my body, really my like female body. And the truth is, is I think it still took me longer. And of course, the thing about memoir is that, you know, everyone should know when they read memoir is yeah, the ending, like we have to, you know, there has to be some sort of like redemption, but really, you know, it, it tends to wrap it up more than actually gets wrapped up. I mean, I was honest for sure in the book, but that wasn't the end of the story. Of course it went on and on. So then, yes. So then after getting all of those messages and all of that feedback from my readers was so meaningful to me and kind of gave me that the intimacy in some ways that I had been looking for, like I had this, I'd created uh, not even knowing that's what I was doing, like creating the intimacy that I was longing for so much and craving with my, with just women everywhere, you know, internationally, um, and connecting with them and feeling like, you know, we are all in this same boat together. We're all dealing with the same thing. And so, um, at the same time I was becoming a therapist because, um, it's, you know, you can't really make a living as a writer. Like you have to do something. And I didn't want to, uh, and what I w- was available to me for teaching, I didn't want to be teaching. So I became a therapist. And so the timing was really good. And it just sort of, uh, worked out that I quite quickly, this became my specialty are these issues of sex and love addiction, um, women's issues related to bodies and growing up in this culture and kind of all things relationship and sex, um, but very much in inside of a lens that is tied up with recognizing that we're not actually terribly pathological. It's our culture that is, and particularly for women, but really for all of us. I mean, it's the patriarchy, you know? Um, so, so that's how I kind of came to my life's work. And that's why loose girl still means so much to me. And, um, uh, and then also how I came to write crazy for you, which is my sort of my, my first, and I'm sure only self-help book about sex and love addiction and just in, in general, uh, the kinds of things that I just spoke about. Mm, so good. Yeah. It makes me think of, you know, all the things in life that led me to have the brain in the business that I have now. And the uh, 16 year old getting ready to graduate high school. And it's like, what do you want to be when you grow up? I had no idea that it was leading me here. But then I go yeah. back and I think of those, some of those pivotal moments where I was so perplexed. And I, I don't know, parts of me think like, oh, well, every young woman is challenged by these things. And sure, that's the case, but it's not necessarily planting seeds of this is going to be your purpose work throughout your life. And I look back on it and I'm like, oh, wow, that hurt then. 
that still hurts. Like I'm still taking that into meditation and plant medicine and I don't know, whatever else I'm bringing into therapy. And, uh, and, and I feel like I've reclaimed a lot of it. And so I think that some people hear some of the the pieces and parts of, of being challenged as a, uh, a young person or a person in the moving through the world or uh, a woman today. And it's like, Oh, I've got, I've got to heal from it as though there's an end to the healing. And I think with your books, just from the little that I've read in that one book in particular, I think that you really illustrate that it's an ongoing process and an ongoing journey and healing isn't linear. And it might feel like you take a couple steps forward and maybe 32 and a half steps back. And, but you don't really ever go back. Like it's all in the forward motion, so to speak, or spiral motion. I don't know what's the better term to use there. You know, (laughs) I often use the spiral vision uh, as well. That image. Yeah. That is such a um, fallacy that so many people come to therapy with. And just that we have in our culture that we, we like, you know, that finally you'll be done with something. And it's like, well, I already dealt with that. I already went to therapy for that. And it's like, Oh, I'm sorry, honey. This is like, for this is your fate. <laughs> like this is what whatever happened or however you process something, now it's your fate. And it's not like it won't um hurt. It's it will hurt less over time. You can get it to hurt less, but yes, it can um it continues to be something to stay aware around and keep building more and more awareness about how it affects your life and what to do with it to help yourself. And often in some cases, like certainly with the sort of loose girl sex and love addiction phenomenon um, is to stop like ruining your life with it that you can definitely do. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) For sure. So I want to, let's see, actually I'll ask this question first. So you mentioned like when we first were, are getting onto the call that you have patients after this. So I'm curious what that looks like. Cause you say you help people with sex and love addiction. So what does it look like for someone who's challenged in these areas that you are a specialist in? What does it look like for, for them to have like a session with you? Yeah, well, uh, I am probably different from a lot of therapists. I mean, I don't know for sure, but I think so in that I feel like we are kind of in this together. Um, I do, I actually do a lot of self-disclosure, which is not very common in therapy. Mm -hmm. In fact, it's considered like harmful, but to me, I think, and I only use it this way. I think it's incredibly therapeutic because they, it's helpful for them to know. And they want to know, they really badly want to know, like, what about you? Like, where are you at? Like, where did you, where have you gotten to and what is happening for you now? Or, um, you know, how did you deal with this kind of feeling? You know, did that work for you? So, um, uh, so yeah, I'm, they, they know more about me than maybe a different therapist might, um, be revealing. So, and I think we have fun. I mean, I tend to have like a lot of fun with my clients because, To me, um, being able to make fun of yourself and, and honestly, the culture and the world in various ways is important as part of that, um, feeling better journey. So there's a lot of that too, but yeah, we, I mean, obviously I maintain a level of, of professionality and to some extent, but really I'm just me everywhere. It's just that I, I don't reveal everything, you know, there's just only the therapeutic pieces. So that's what they, it looks like. Um, and I always feel like, you know, I wish I could find a therapist like me (laughs) 
So yeah. I never can. So, um, because that's really just like with the books that I write, I am in many ways live my life as somebody who I would have needed when I was younger or when I was in the worst of my struggle. A huge part of my life with Jordan is our dogs. Some of y'all may know we have a blue-nosed pit bull named Biggie James Smalls and a French bulldog named Little. They are quite the duo. Biggie, as Jordan likes to say, is his firstborn baby boy. And a couple of years ago, out of nowhere, I just had to have a pup of my own. The stars aligned and my baby girl Little was brought into my world. And for the record, we did not name them Big and Little on purpose. Biggie is 11 and Jordan is a huge Big Papa fan. Little is two and I tried to name her many other things, but Little she liked and Little she listened to, so Little she became. They are the source of so much joy for us. We connect with each other by taking walks around our neighborhood with the dogs. They are our favorite snuggle bugs when we are curled up on the couch with a movie. We love visiting Zilker Park in the heart of Austin and letting them run around with all the other dogs. Little often joins me in my office while I'm on calls. I often refer to her as the Sex and Love Co. mascot, unofficial mascot. And Jordan loves taking Biggie to swim a few times per week. We are absolutely convinced that he was a sea mammal in a past life. (laughs) As Biggie has gotten older, we've noticed that after big trips to the park or long swim sessions, he's a bit slower to move around later that day and the next day. His joints get a little stiff and sometimes are even painful. Our vet recommended we try adding pup-friendly CBD oil into his diet. I had no idea that dogs have an endocannabinoid system just like humans do. So we've recently upgraded the treat jar over here to the... CBD dog treats from Cured Nutrition. We also started adding a few drops of Cured Nutrition CBD oil to Big's food every so often to help with the discomfort in his hips and his shoulder joints due to arthritis. Uh, Little isn't left out of this either, though. She's a small dog with anxious tendencies, kind of like mother, like daughter here. So she gets a few drops when I know we'll be traveling or having an event at our house. Both of them get a little CBD when the holidays are upon us and fireworks might be going off around our neighborhood or when the weather says a thunderstorm is coming. So it's it's really quite sad to see Big saunter around the house. He's this big jacked pit bull, but his tail goes right between his legs and he can't get close enough to Jordan or I. We treat our pups like our children. We love them dearly and it's important to us to make sure that they have a great quality of life. To give Cured Nutrition a try, whether it's their pet products or their human ones, head to the link in my show notes. Not all CBD is made equal, y'all, and Cured Nutrition is literally as good as it gets when it comes to ingredients and, of course, high-quality, full, and broad-spectrum CBD. We are incredibly considerate when it comes to choosing what goes in our bodies as well as our pups. It's our plan for every member of our family to live along healthy, happy, and pleasurable life. Check the show notes for more info and make sure to use the code thatsexchick, all one word, for 10% off your order of items not already a part of discounted bundles. And speaking of the the struggle, then the next piece of that of same question, like part A or B, it, I'm, I'm curious, like what are the struggles that people find, your, find themselves 
like a little bit more granular, a little bit more specific, like maybe even an example of a client in past or make one up. <laughs> hey, for yeah. sex and love, addiction, you mean? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, um, well, in, in crazy for you, I established sex and love addiction as a spectrum very intentionally okay. because one of the really difficult things about figuring out like, what is that? Or, you know, is it, am I on that spectrum? It's like really hard. It's hard. Cause it's not really not a discrete thing. And there's so many messages that we receive and ways that people, things that people wind up believing, and then therefore uh, contribute to their behaviors around sex and relationships that are the total, the messages that we're getting from society, you know, and they're incredibly harm. They're either incredibly harmful or, um, at, at the very least, just like inaccurate. And that's largely, I mean, romance is the perfect example of this. So romance is like a sort of made up thing that is, um, is in it by definition, it means like star-crossed lovers. It means people who can't be together. So there's this way that we've all, we were talking about longing before, but there's a way that we've all sort of absorbed this sense of, I want to be longing (laughs) because it feels so, so that's a a part of it there uh, of the movement forward is actually learning to embrace the longing instead of trying to get rid of it. But that's moving ahead to get back to your question of what does it look like? It looks like so many different things. So love addiction in particular, which again, I don't like to separate them because if you have an issue with one, you have an issue with the other and you have an issue with relationships, period. You know, Mm -hmm. it's all like intimacy issues, really. Mm -hmm. But people who I have, for instance, today, I have one of my love addict clients and how it it shows up for her is that she is in relationships pretty regularly with semi-avoidant men and uh, sometimes extremely avoidant. Um, She jumps in way too quickly and uh, to avoid the insecurity of, of not knowing whether he's all in. Uh, She jumps in way too quickly and then winds up way too attached and super codependent and, um, and, and then needs kind of too much from him. And it feels like these are real needs that are about a relationship. And again, this is another messed up thing we get from our culture. It feels like, like I need these things from him or else I'm not getting my needs met is how we always talk about it. But really all of those quote unquote needs are just a wound based feelings of needs that are, that she's actually responsible for. And so that's a lot of the work too, is like learning to self-contain those feelings that are, it's not actually something she needs in the relationship, but it's been those, those, that feeling has been hung on men her whole life um, in the same way that, you know, I've had that too. Um, So that's a, a classic example of what I have. I also have a lot of couples and with them, it's more, you know, we're just talking about like relationships and um, sometimes there's some love addict and sex addict stuff involved, but usually we're talking about relationships. We're talking about their sexual relationship um, and all of, again, the ways in which our culture does not prepare us or have any guidance for us that works 
um, around relationships because relationships of course are treated as like destinations. Like right. you'll, like you'll get there and then, then nobody is like, okay, but now what? Because it, right. that's actually when the hard work happens. Right. And if it continues, if they just continue to fail, then it's, you know, by whatever standards and it's, oh, well, it must be that person. I just trade them out and try a new one. Right. It's all you, you exactly. turned into this creature versus both parties taking responsibility for the situation that unfolded. Exactly. Yeah. That's yeah. Okay. So it's interesting. So you like to define um, sex addiction and love addiction really as just intimacy. Would you still continue to use the word addiction? I, I personally have a really difficult time with the word addiction and sex and love and intimacy. And I imagine I'm not the first person that has said that to you. Yeah, well, it's absolutely, it's quite controversial and I should be controversial because I mean, I'm, I'm grateful personally for that controversy because too often we do apply those terms to things that are just really about, again, like cultural limitations put on us or um, assumptions about what what relationships are supposed to look like and what, you know, female behavior around sex or really anybody's behavior around sex is supposed to look like. Um, and that's all obviously terribly problematic. And so it's important to uh, be super aware of that when one is looking at, you know, wh- where are my issues? Are my issues coming from actually ways that I'm engaging with other people or is it, is it, really coming from expectations put on me, um, and pressures and the fear of being, uh, different from, you know, what's expected of me. Mm -hmm. So that said for people who truly, the reason I don't, so I don't love the word addiction either. And yet I, I just decide that I use it just because I do think that there is, it's a way to think about things that are different from just different kind of more regular problems that people might have around sex and love and relationships and romance. And, and there really is an addictive factor. So meaning there's like neurobiological behavior that mimics addiction around people who struggle, who, who are truly on the spectrum somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, and that plays out in so many ways, but the basics of it are that if you use uh, sex and love relationships, et cetera, use other people really in order to avoid uncomfortable feelings or to try to fill an emptiness of some sort, then you're basically on that spectrum somewhere. Mm. Um, and that's a lot of people. Um, the reason, again, I really want to make it separate from just maybe different behavior around around sex and love is that we sex and love addicts like use people it's uh, as drugs in many ways. Um, and then at the same time, again, to go back to this addiction word, and this is the problem I have with like sex and love addicts anonymous, which, you know, I'm not like gonna, gonna, you know, are you, do you curse on here? Yep. You can. Okay. Fuck I'm not going to shit on, okay, <laughs> I shit on sex and love addicts anonymous. Cause I do think that there's a lot, there's absolutely value, mm-hmm. but their approach, the whole step approach, which they use, you know, it for alcohol for drugs, it's just not, it's, it's so the addiction part is such a small part of it. And actually so much more important work has to happen around all this other stuff that we've been talking about, mm-hmm. um, around, uh, 
attachment issues, around um, codependence, around the, you know, most importantly, in many ways, the cultural and societal messages that we get around sex and love and sex and love, you know, connection. It's an existential issue. This isn't like cocaine, you know, this is like, you can't, you're going to do this your whole life. So it's kind of one of, it's the heart in my mind, of course I'm biased because I have it, but like, it's the hardest addiction to have because the most difficult, because you can't get away from it and you're going to spend your whole life having to wrestle with it. And, and yet as a positive spin on that, it also means that you get to spend your whole life learning how to love better, which to me is like, that's kind of wonderful. Um, learning how to love better, learning how to, how to fill yourself up better with your own experience of love and sex. So, um, and self-actualize more. Mm. Yeah. That last part. Mm-hmm. Hold your hold yourself accountable to self-actualization. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, you could have said that to me about, I don't know, seven, eight years ago. And I've been like, what? No, <laughs> I, I know. know. Did you just speak English? I have a confession. I ran out of everyday dose. And before I could get my refill in, I went back to coffee for about a week. <sighs> One day around noon, I sat having a conversation with Jordan and I felt a wave of anxiety wash over me. The conversation wasn't particularly challenging. I think we were just chatting about some things happening in the business. And I remember placing my my hand over my heart and taking a few deep breaths and a little light bulb going off. Whoa, could this be because of the coffee? <sighs> I looked up at Jordan and I said, I need your support in kicking the coffee for good, good. It's not serving me. And even if it's not the cause or the source of my anxious feelings, it's not helping anything. And it's quite possibly even exacerbating it all. So we agreed. No more coffee for Lex, no matter what. It's hard, y'all, to even say that out loud. I have loved, capital L-O-V-E-D my morning coffee for years. And to say goodbye is so sad. Good news though, my everyday dose arrived literally the next day and I was reminded why I love it so much and why it's seriously the perfect replacement. I still get to have my morning cup of something warm and delicious. Only now it's a third of the caffeine as compared to a regular cup of coffee, plus mushrooms and adaptogens to help create sustainable energy in my system. I'm much more pleasant in my relationship and my day-to-day life when I choose to do what's best for my nervous system, my digestion, and my physical and mental health. Everyday Dose is definitely in the category of what's best. Now, not everyone is like me, but some of you listening are. So for those of you who could stand to kick the coffee habit with me, you can try Everyday Dose by going to everydaydose.com. Remember to use the code THATSEXCHICK for 20% off at checkout. And because I know you're going to ask, here's my personal recipe. One tablespoon of dose, two ounces of hot water, blend, add five drops of liquid stevia, the vanilla is my favorite, and then on top, eight ounces of frothed three seed almond milk. Now, my extra bonus is a sprinkle of a little stevia powder across the top of the foam. It's my fave. Enjoy my loves everydaydose.com. So I'm, I'm curious, you think like 
So I've had people on the show before. One of my really good friends when I first met him was very much identifying with sex addict. He'd gotten into a relationship with someone and then found himself. I don't know if it was cheating or um, or what what the actual deal was or the I think he might have been having had a whole. Ah, OK, it's coming to me. He had like a whole second life outside of his relationship. And he when she found out he didn't want to lose her, but he also didn't really want to lose this other thing. But so in an effort to like steer the ship in the other direction, she said, you have to go to sex addicts anonymous. And that was the response. And then he went into this system and then started identifying with it and then started to help other people through it. And then later in, you know, as the story then unfolds, I meet him and I say, do you identify with this? Like, is this a part of your identity, this addiction? And I'd say, what are you actually addicted to? And then what's underneath that? And then, and then we, I, I got into a very, like, I don't buy it. I don't buy this word attached with it. I feel like everything that we're talking about in the realms of I'm using air quotes here, sex addiction or love addiction is human behavior. And yes, our culture and society have helped morphed us into like, this is the way a lot of people, and there's all these different frameworks. Like this is how you learn to be attached. And it's all based off of your parents and who wasn't there. And, you know, get into some situations like, well, what parent fucked you up more? And, you know, and it's just this really weird, uh, like I'm not the language of it a lot of times really is a holdup for me. Um, and, and, you know, I wound up like meeting this person and for anyone who's curious, Dominic Cortuccio, he's been on the show. If you want to go back and he literally goes into his whole story about this, but then coming onto the show is like, do you associate with this, any of this anymore? And he said, no, I've put distance between the identity and that and myself. And I, and I think it's not a matter of like, if he experiences some of the same urges or the same sensations in his body or the same patterns or anything, but I sometimes wonder if saying like, oh, I'm an addict for my whole life is, is a part of what people, of what keeps them in a box of this is a hard, like a hard thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I do think it's a hard thing actually, yeah. but, um, but, um, and, and again, you know, I agree with you. I, I don't love the addiction word either. It's almost just a way it's just, a, it was a, it was a, a terminology that was already out there that, you know, could rather than sort of trademarking my own, which I actually initially wanted to, you know, like the loose girl thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to just like trademark the notion of, of loose girl behavior. But um, I think because so many people already have heard about sex and love addiction or wonder if they are, or um, I just, I sort of use it as this chunk phrase and, and, but I do still totally agree with you that it's addiction is of extremely small part of it. And it, and it's actually, um, it's better to think about it as literally everywhere that any place that I have, um, anxieties or, um, or pain or, you know, true pain or, you know, and like, and the endless, it's the thing in my life that I think way too much about all the time instead of, or used to, especially, and as opposed to all the other amazing things in my life that are, make me worthwhile. And it's where entirely I was looking to get my worth and 
you know, that can, mm-hmm. and that continues to always be a little bit of a struggle, although I've come so far, um, that, and I think it'll always be a struggle. Those are the things that I feel like separate it somewhat. I mean, and again, this is hence the spectrum mm-hmm. because it does feel like also there are a ton of people who also get their worth from whether they're in a relationship or not. And a lot of that is like cultural pressures around, especially women, you know, it's like what we're all so many of those like old things that we think of as feminists as being like, Oh, we've come so far. It's like, "Mm, not really. There's like so many things that we haven't actually gotten anywhere with. And it's just kind of looks like we have with like the Madonna Virgin thing being a perfect example of, of that is, entirely the same in terms of the cultural messages and pressures and ways that that there's like an absorption that we all have that still plays out all the time so in in life you know even in even among you know feminist men you know men who who claim to you know feel that way around you know who of course support women's rights and and all these ideas intellectually but still find themselves like like, well, that's not really wife material though, because she, you know, is because she's a big whore and she, I could, I fucked her in the ass the first time I hung out with her. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> things like that, that like, you know, those things yeah. are still there. So, um, so anyway, and I feel like I just went off on a tangent and somehow got to getting, getting fucked in the ass. Yeah. So let's, let's it's next. A, it's a typical tangent, you know, on this <laughs> show, it is called that sex chick. No, I, I well, it's a tangent we've visited before and what follows the tangent has looked like lots of different things. <laughs> um, but yeah, the, this topic, you know, um, as someone who is in the coaching space, which has its own, what do you do? And how did you get how, like, just where it, uh, there's so much in the way of like semantics and credentials and knowledge and all of it. And I, I'm just very curious, you know, I'm very curious about, um, the identity piece. I'm very curious about the treatments and, and all of that. You know, I find myself in a place where typically people are coming to me in a place that is a little bit different to where I would say, Hey, try licensed family marriage therapy first, or try going to see a licensed counselor first before you come work with us. Cause we're just going to teach you techniques and tools. And, you know, we're, we're focused on the growth aspect and not necessarily on the, and you need help in this way of like processing stuff first. And so, um, I know just like a quick rule of thumb when then people come to us and, and they're like, yeah, well, you know, we're challenged by X, Y, Z and I go great. So processing your past, I'm going to send you to my recommendations as far as, and my referrals, as far as therapy goes. And if they come to us, they're like, we have a great relationship. We have a therapist. We have these people that we've worked with. We've done X, Y, Z in our background. And we're, we're looking for like something to bring us into the future. And like, they don't actually say those words, but in my mind, they're saying those words. I'm like, great. We're the perfect ticket for you. Um, and so just the, the, the world of sex, love relationships. And I would say like, like you're using the word spectrum, um, for sex and love addiction, which I want to circle back to in a second, but just the, the journey that someone goes through from the point of like figuring out that they're a sexual being and utilizing sex in whatever ways that they're going to utilize sex in. And then that shifting from like, like, this doesn't really feel good. And I'm not sure if I'm getting what I actually want based off of this. And then eventually like some ahas and a new level of awakening, like, oh, like I'm, 
I'm hurting myself with this, or I'm hurting other people with this. Like, how do I stop doing that? You know what? I probably should abstain. <laughs> that's the, that's the cure, which could really help a lot of people, um, depending on what their, their, um, you know, their reasoning for it and how they set it up and the intention behind it. And then eventually going into exploration and reclamation and other words that end in T-I-O-N. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, and so really, um, what I, what I would love to do is like, that we've like cracked that open. Cause that definitely was something that was on my mind. I'm like, we're going to use this word a lot. And it's something that I refrain from. So I want to even just have that conversation for my audience. Cause they've heard me say that before. Like, I don't like to use that. Um, but I like that. It's like you say, a spectrum. So I would love a little bit of like in the new book, which I haven't gotten into some of the framework and more in the, how do you help people with <laughs> these challenges? I'm just going to go with challenges. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, and I want to just to add to this idea of claiming this phrase, sex and love at what help. One of the reasons that I use it for myself um, is that when you're, when you, when you're able to claim like, oh, I'm on this spectrum, it actually gives clarity to a lot of areas in life, as opposed to feeling like something's wrong with me, which is the whole like the inter- my whole introduction of crazy for you is, is about how many people, including myself, but who came to me and are like, something's wrong with me. Right. Everyone else can have relationships. It seems like, and I can't, or everyone else seems to be able to do these things and I can't. And of course that's not true, but, but that's how it feels. It feels like something's wrong with you as opposed to if you're able to be like, Oh, I've been actually like harmed by the culture in this particular way, or I've been, you know, misguided with messages and, and, you know, and added to that, that I, you know, grew up with a narcissistic mother and a, you know, unavailable father, or, you know, that's just me. And, um, you know, and that I, um, and now I can't, that's why it's kind of helpful in that way. And certainly, um, as women with female friends, we sex and love addict females who have you know, good female friends have lost friends over it. And that's because, and in some ways having that framework and being able to teach your friends about what that means to be a sex and love addict helps them have more compassion for you. Cause it's really embarrassing and shameful. Like as a female who is, you know, a strong feminist, it's like it, you know, and I have all these, I, you know, I have 11 books and I, you know, I have this thriving practice and I, you know, write And I teach writing and, you know, and yet I spend all day thinking about some dumb boy, like it's embarrassing, you know, it's like, it's embarrassing. So, and there's so much shame stuff about being a sex and love addict, um, on both ends, both for men and women. Um, but for, but for women, certainly I know that one more personally. So just wanted to throw that in. Um, so in terms of like, how, how does one work with people? You know, what, what have I done with people? It was based really on what I wound up coming up with for myself, because I did not think, I mean, I didn't even go to sex and love addicts anonymous also did not want to claim that phrase in the same way that you're saying, Mm -hmm. because it didn't feel exactly right based on, um, how I felt. Um, so at that time, but also I, I just didn't see uh, that was a big part of it is seeing kind of what people were talking about in sex and love addicts anonymous didn't feel, I didn't feel connected to that. And then their approach seemed wrong. Mm-hmm. And 
at the very least, and you just said something about this, you know, this whole idea of like abstinence, which is of course what you do with substance use um, and substance addiction seemed completely uh, like misguided because how do you work on intimacy issues? You do so in intimacy, Mm -hmm. like you can't otherwise, you won't get triggered. Like literally nothing will come up. You're you're like, I'm fine. Great. I've been single for three years. I'm ready for, Mm -hmm. you know, a relationship. And then you just do it all over again because nothing has been worked out, you know, um, you don't have any of that awareness. So, okay. So, so that is actually the first step is, um, I, I, encourage and give feedback around massive quantities of self-awareness about how your sex and love addiction behavior plays out. Another good reason to claim the phrasing, even though I agree, I hate the word addiction, but, um, but it's another great way to like help build clarity about where, where in my relationships, um, is this playing out? Um, how, you know, how does it play out? What, what are the little things that will trigger me? What do I wind up doing? You know, what is my behavior? All of that, getting massive amounts of self-awareness and, and it'll keep, you'll keep learning. You know, that's, what's so cool about it is like, you just keep learning more and more. I mean, just like a few weeks ago, my friend said, well, it's very interesting, Carrie, that I think like every time things are going really well between you two, you like, find a reason to be, you know, to like kind of fuck things up. And I was like, Oh God, at first I was like, no, I don't. But then I was like, Oh shit, do I? And so, you know, like things that you don't even, it's like, you keep learning. So there's that. And then, um, the next piece is, is with that amount of self-awareness, so much of it is, um, I help people figure out like where their, what their wounds are. I call, you know, emotional wounds that usually go way, way back way back to childhood. Um, sometimes, sometimes they don't, but, but usually they do, um, and learn about what are like your wound based feelings and what feel like needs around that. And, um, and what are just like accurate emotions to the situation, Mm -hmm. um, and learning then how to self-contain around your emotional wounds, learning how to self-soothe one of the, um, one of the things that people assume with this is that, you know, oh, well, I'll learn to give myself that thing that I feel like I need, but that's not, you, you can't really, that's not really, instead, it's just, it's more self-containing and self-soothing. And most importantly, learning to just tolerate the uncomfortable feel, the really, the kind of painful feeling. Mm-hmm. And by tolerating it, it gets less painful at time. at mostly, you know, every once in a while it can, you know, feel awful again. Um, but learning how to not react from that place and instead, you know, care for the self around it. But the caring for the self is just letting yourself feel that way instead of trying to get someone else to make you feel better, which is so much of it. Like stop trying to make somebody else make you feel better. Um, and then the third piece is behaviors, you know, which is just like, what are the ways that, what are the things that you do that you actually do that are screwing up your life, screwing up your relationships? pushing people away, um, keeping yourself from true connection. So that kind of sums it up. <laughs> yep. And, and I think, uh, I'm like listening to you describe all of that and then also watching my life flash before my eyes, you know, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Like just this morning I was having to contain it and soothe it 
you know, or I'm like, I'm doing that a lot, you know, and there's something that first piece that major self-awareness to be able to look at my husband and say, I am about, I am, I am processing a reaction that is not really directly connected to what we are describing right now. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's huge, I think for us. And, and, and I see it as, you know, there's these moments of frustration is like, are we always going to have to do this? And my response is yes. And you married me. Yes, exactly. Right. That is that. And, and part of the being able to be cool with always having to do it Mm -hmm. is that of course, yeah, sometimes you are still going to screw up. And, um, and to me, like having the awareness helps to then create like humor and endearment around your, you know, ridiculous behavior. Mm -hmm. So like, more than once I have sent, you know, like a text the following day of like Glenn Close and fatal attraction, like the gif of her just like turning on and off the light, you know, because she's totally my alter ego. Um, you know, in my, and that's like, you know, she's kind of a classic sex. I mean, she's actually, she has all sorts of disorders and personality disorders, that character, but, um, in fatal attraction, but that's like, you know, there's a, an aspect of it where, um, I can make fun of myself and by making fun of yourself, he will find it, learn to find it endearing too, because you're taking responsibility for it, you know, instead of continuing to, to put it on him. Yeah. A thousand percent. And even in those moments where like, I can feel my nervous system electrifying and he sees it's coming too. I'm like, it's about to happen. <laughs> you know, like I'll change my voice or I'll change like what my body's doing. And I'm like, I just feel the bigness inside. And I'm like, ah, I'm gonna, you know, and he'll usually loop it back around to humor too. He's like got the spirit of a golden retriever. So, and I am, I very much like I'm the cool, intense light switch flipper. And he's like <laughs> the bright way, ray of sunshine. Nice. Um, all of the time. So uh, I feels that for sure. But uh, yeah, it's, it's fascinating. This whole process is fascinating. Figuring out on an individual level, how I, and I'm going to speak from my, I'm going to speak from the I um, in this instead of like we general, but I do think that what I'm about to say is probably pretty we general, but I get to be on this journey of continuously looking at how I show up in the world. And then painfully taking responsibility for every single thing through like it's times when I feel like I'm swallowing, like I'm choking on the realization. I'm like trying to say, I don't mean what I'm doing right now. And, and it's like this, the self-awareness, like eventually it all kind of like is like trains, like from both directions running into each other. It's like, I can see it and I can't stop myself and all that. And I've even had the person who, um, my husband and I see as our, um, coach and therapist onto the show. And we recorded an episode of us as clients of hers, which was really cool. And we spent like the better part of an hour talking about how I can like see it about to happen. And there I go. But the, you know, the, the, the work and the high five and the success is like, it was 20 minutes this time instead of like a few years ago where it was like three days. Exactly. That's right. (laughs) I used to say, and I don't have to anymore. I used to say, if I were the kind of person who said she was sorry, I would do that right now. Like that's, you know, yeah. thankfully I'm not still there, (laughs) but like, yeah. If I could access and I'm sorry, I would deliver it to you right now. (laughs) 
Yeah. And so in a lot of ways, like everything that we were discussing, um, I'm sure on some level, everyone can, every person listening can find parts of their story. You know what I mean? Um, and, and of course, then the differentiation between when people are really, truly in total consumed by this behavior and by these patternings come out. And did you ever watch the show Nip Tuck way back? Some of it. Yeah. This, I had to have been in high school when Nip Tuck came out. So this is like early 2000s. And I will never forget that it was like the first like edgy risque show that I could watch on FX at that time. And, and there was one of, I think his name was Christian, one of the doctors. And he just, they made it like a kind of a spectacle across the episodes that he was a sex addict. And like, for me, I go, that's, that's someone who fits into that box. I could see is that label and like that whole situation being accurate for him because he just like fucked to know it, like without abandon, it was just like anything and everything that he could do. And it wasn't just like constant. It was like all these different situations he'd put himself in where like his adrenaline was spiking and it was totally risky. And it was just constant behavior like that. And he would fall in love. And then you'd watch him like in an episode and a half totally fuck it up. And then it was just over and over again. And then he met his match, another person that was just like him. And then she got pregnant. And then it was like, and then the baby was delivered and the baby was black and, and, and it was a white woman. So it was just like mind blown over and over and over again about this. And I'm like, oh yeah, I can see how that's really fucking up his life. And anyone in the world that has, that is doing that with their sex, that is just continuously fucking up their life with it. I could see that. Yeah. Well, I have a list in, um, in crazy for you in the like opening chapter, which is about like, what is it? What is the sex and love addiction? And I have a list of, um, of, of shows and movies where I feel like you're actually seeing sex and love addiction Mm. because there are a number of the ones where they say you are, you're not, you know, Mm. to me, that's like, no, that's not, but there are one other ones where they don't actually even use the word, but that is but it's, that's exactly what's totally happening. What's happening. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I'm going to have to take a look at crazy for you. I mean, just the title is really fitting. I know. You know what I mean? And I might not feel super close to the crazy for you. It might, you know, it might not resonate fully. And also at the same time, I know if I pick up a book like that, I'll go, damn, <laughs> you know? <laughs> right. um, uh, yeah. It's a superpower to see myself and others experiences over and over and over again to a fault. But, um, so I'd say for anyone who's listening that is curious at large, so loose girl, which we started the show chatting about is a beautiful story. And Mm -hmm. like for, for someone like me that like, I look back on certain times in my life and like the darkness and the edge has certainly benefited me. Yeah. Growing up and having that self-awareness around it and making different decisions and choices. And like, there are times when like, I'll indulge and I'll let the dark consume me for a second. I'll be like, okay, okay, you're good. Like I set a timer. You can sit here for two minutes. (laughs) Um, And, and so I've grown to really appreciate and love it. And, um, and so anyone who's looking for like a, a great story that's heartfelt and you can read it and know like, this is very connected to someone's real actual lived experience. Then I would say, check out Carrie's original, but that wasn't the original. It wasn't easy. It was easy first. 
Yeah, but Easy is um, Easy is a young adult novel that. Um, and by the way, I have three young adult novels, and I don't recommend any of them. Like, there's just way better, way better young adult novels out there. Um, but you know, in many ways, Easy was like my first pass at like, like, I, like clearly, I think I just wasn't quite willing to go all because I wanted to write the memoir and instead I wrote easy and then I wrote the memoir and I remember my agent at the time saying well you already wrote it and I was like mm, not really so I'm just going to go ahead and write this memoir and um so yeah I would recommend loose girl way more yeah. than yeah. easy yeah so start maybe with the story with loose girl and then yeah join me in flipping through crazy for you because I'm yeah. again very interested and I I like the fact that I have mm, I'm questioning personally. And I am sure that there's a lot of people who listen to the show as well that are questioning just where they fit in all of this and questioning, like we were talking about the language and the labels and the, what do I do with this? And so I very much find myself in that. And even though I coach people and I run programs and we have this podcast and all that, people hear me say it over and over and over again. I am a perpetual student. Life led me to do the work that I am so meant to do and that I meant to learn from over and over and over again ad nauseum. So it's like my business and brand is like a giant mirror that I can't run away from. And so I imagine that there are lots of people that listen to the show too that are, find themselves in similar-ish positions where they're like, I'm just full on curious about all this stuff. What does it mean as a human doing that whole make meaning of it thing? Who am I? What is this? Where am I at? in the midst of it? And then how do I live a life that I feel great about my sexuality and feel great about my connections with others? And um, I think something that we've, we've highlighted a number of times in the show is that the stuff doesn't go away, whatever the stuff is, how you enact, how you interact with it, the choices that you make with regards to like your awareness around it and communicating with it and then allowing certain aspects of it to play out in your life. Like that's what changes your reality. You know what I mean? So that stuff is like still happening all probably until you take it to the grave. So I also am one of those people that, and I read this towards the end of Loose Girl, like uh, I think, I think it was towards the end of Loose Girl. It was like a therapist that says, I don't believe people change. I say it all the time too. It's like, we take it with us regardless. Like it's a, you know, we're dragging it around or it's floating above us. However you want to describe it, but it's there. Yes. Yes. You and I definitely have that in common, that thing that you just said about make, you know, how important it is to make meaning. You have to make meaning and, and it gives, makes it enjoy, enjoyable. Like life becomes, um, once you are able to find meaning, which is by the way, another, uh, chapter and crazy for you about, um, rewriting your story, um, and find, you know, continuing to rewrite your story and find ways to, um, feel good about what's happened, what's come before and, you know, and whatever is coming going for going forward. Yeah, for sure. All right. Well, this was very well-rounded and I am, yeah, I'm excited to hear what the audience thinks of yeah. just the subject. And of course you can't argue with someone's story. I really think like their story is their own. And so, um, and I happen to think that yours is beautiful and definitely in resonance. So um, I'm curious before we wrap up, is there any Last thing that you would like to share, maybe with some people who are, well, let's go specifically with people who might think that they are on this spectrum. What's a, mm-hmm. what's a message that you would like to share with them, the spectrum of sex and love addiction specifically? Well, I guess the main message that I really wanted to come across in Crazy for You and sort of what drove 
the wanting to write it is that feeling of like, of there being something wrong with you and how much I want people to feel not alone, to feel connected to uh, others around that and to understand that they're, that there's nothing wrong with them. Um, and that there's much meaning and beauty and intention to be found in all of our struggles around just trying to have connection with other humans, you know, that real basic existential struggle. Thank you so much for coming onto the show, Carrie. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to today's show. If you loved it, be sure to subscribe so you never miss a new episode. And if you extra, extra loved it, make sure to leave a five-star review. I'll see y'all next week.